Welcome to episode 21 of Lost in Translation with Bobby Martin. I'm Sam Perkins, uh, coming to you from uh, the WCTV studios in Wilmington, as always. Bobby, we are we are really getting on a roll with these things. I think it's feeling pretty good to me. How about you? We are back, and this feels good. This is this is awesome. We are uh, joined today by Brandeis University head men's basketball coach Gene Bain, uh, former player at my alma mater, Northeastern University. Much more acclaimed than myself. Uh, Bobby also spent some time as a coach at Northeastern, so we've got a whole Northeastern connection going on here, although none of us were at the school at the same time. Six degrees of separation. Right? <laughs> go, go Huskies. Go Huskies. Welcome, Gene. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, thank you guys for having me. It's a pleasure being here, knowing both of you guys for a long time, so uh, this was an easy thing for me to do. Come down here. We appreciate you being here. Go Judges, right? Yeah, go definitely. Judges. Go Judges. Uh, so, Gene... You know, your your journey to me, it, it hits very close to home. You're a Medford kid. I'm a Cambridge kid. I, you know, I think at a certain level, there's a rivalry when you're from from a city in the Boston area. But also when you get out into the world, there's much more of an affinity when you see someone that comes from the surrounding Boston area cities, like really make it and have success. You, can, you always kind of root for each other mm -hmm. unless you're playing against each other and something. Um, but like, what would you just say overall about about your journey with basketball, I mean, did you ever expect that you would stay connected? Like when you were a kid, mm -hmm. little kid, you can think back. Did you think that you would stay connected in this way with the sport for this long? Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, Bobby and I were talking earlier before we started. It's just, you know, basketball has always been a, a passion, uh, a love of mine ever since I picked up the ball. You know, like I was nine, ten years old. And, you know, it was just something that always got me through whatever I was going through. Um you know, going down the park and or going to the gym or working out, whatever it may be. Um, you know, I saw a future, whether it was a coach or trying to play after, I saw that basketball was always going to be part of my life. Um, because, you know, I equate sports with life because a lot of things you go through in sports, you have to tackle in life. So it was easy for me uh, with my background, coming from where I came from, that, you know, that I'm going to need the game of basketball. So, um, yeah, I always thought, you know, somehow, some way, um, you know, I was going to be doing this for a long time. Tell me about growing up in Medford. Like, uh, you know, how did you first get connected with the game of basketball? Tell me about just who you grew up with and, and why hoops. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned uh, Cambridge because I lived in Cambridge when I, you know, okay. I'm originally from Haiti. You know, I came here when I was um, eight years old. Uh, my family, you know, we lived in Cambridge. Uh, right next to the three towers over there yep. uh, for years. And then, you know, once I started high school, um, you know, my aunt lived in Medford and my parents wanted to kind of get a little bit more situated. So we ended up moving to Medford with them. And, you know, I got introduced to basketball early by my brother just by following him around and playing. Um, and then when I got to Medford, there was a great uh, system in place with Tom Rise, who was the head basketball coach, was actually from uh, Andover, Massachusetts. So he kind of got me uh, serious about the game. Um, I think at that point, you know, you're trying to figure out what you want to do in terms of the future when you're a freshman, in terms of what you want to, what sport you want to kind of go towards. And, you know, he was the one person that got me really serious about the game and told me, hey, you know, if you do A, B, and C, you got a chance to be pretty good, uh, but it's going to take a lot of work. So uh, he started me on that journey. 
uh, by, you know, teaching and, and, and coaching me on the court, off the court. Uh, he's also like a father figure to me. So, um, so, you know, once I got a chance to, you know, learn from him, you know, I then applied myself to the game uh, 100%. Uh, talk, you know, we talk about now working out. I mean, I'd get up at six in the morning, go down the park, uh, work out for a couple of hours, go home, go to, go lift weights, then go play pickup at nights at, at, at the you know local courts. Uh, so it just became something that it, it, I, I just did every single day. Never took a day off. Um, so you know, from then on, you know, I knew I wanted to play college basketball, and I didn't know what level, you mm -hmm. know, because you know the way AAU basketball is now, you know, obviously the exposure these kids yeah. get. A little different so oh, yeah. you know so i was trying to figure out you know how good could i really be and um you know i remember coach Raja saying you're a division one player the division one player he just instilled that confidence in me and that mindset mm -hmm. that you know even though you're 510 everybody's telling you're too small right um you know it, it's not about that it's about you know how much you want it how tough you are um so i just instilled that mindset in myself and i just dedicated myself to the game and and I always say I'm self-made. I didn't, you know, I, I wasn't the guy that had a 44 inch vertical. Um, you know, I was quick, but I wasn't the quickest. Um, I didn't have the greatest shot, but I could shoot. Uh, but my mindset was always different than anybody because of a lot of things I went through in life uh, coming over here. So, um, so I try to instill those things into my daily habits and, you know, made myself a division one player at the end of the day. That is awesome. You know, one, one thing I heard you saying was that you had been through so much, but you had someone outside of your family to actually mentor your coach rise, mm -hmm. coach right? riser, so coach riser. Yep. Okay. So, you know, what message would you give the kids? Because what I'm hearing is, is you know, you're always working. You're always working. You didn't take off. Mm -hmm. You know, you rested, of course, but mm -hmm. you didn't take off. No. So, you know, what I try to do is I try to tell the kids there's a difference between price and cost. Mm -hmm. The price of playing is, okay, yeah, you got to get up and you got to work out. But the cost is you always have to do it. There's no end line. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. and this is what I heard from you. What mm -hmm. what advice would you give these young players? It, it's sacrifices you got to make. Um, you know, I think now everybody wants everything right now. Like, um, as the, at a young age, they want the car, they want the social life, they want everything, <laughs> right? But um, the, the thing that Coach Riser instilled in us early was, you know, you're, you're going to have those things later in life. Mm -hmm. But right now is the time to, 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 to put everything you have in the game, in your academics, and focus on that. For example, you know, with guys on my team, you know, you know, Friday night was a big, you know, night everybody goes out and you get together. I never did those things in high school. You know, those are the sacrifice. I was down the park. Um, and that's the honest truth. I know kids nowadays said, nah, coach, you weren't doing that. Mm -hmm. It's the truth. We didn't have, we didn't have iPads, we didn't have cell phones. Right. Right. Uh, didn't have cable. Um, so those are the type of sacrifices, you know, Saturdays and Sundays, everybody want to go to the beach. Now I'm going to the courts. Uh, I'm going to play in a tournament in Cambridge or in Boston, um, to continue to get better because he always said, if you're not working on your game, somebody else's and if you want that scholarship, well, if they're working in their game, you're not. Well, they're going to get that scholarship. So um, I think that mindset uh, that he instilled in me early just stuck with me for the rest of my life. And I apply that today in coaching because um, I feel like if I'm not working, if I'm not recruiting, if I'm not on the phone, then, you know, other people, you know, are working me. So um, I think it's very important to develop that mindset early if that's something that you want to do. 
if that's your goal, then you don't have to sacrifice to reach the pay the ultimate price to get there. What uh, what was it like, the immigrating here from Haiti, you know, as an eight year old? Because mm -hmm. you're old enough at that point to ex get used to a certain life, a yep. certain language, you know, a certain day to day routine, and then to go to a completely different country. I'm always, you know, blown away by people that immigrate here and not just here, but like, you know, you see it here because this is where I live, you know, to go to a completely different country where a completely different language and, you know, culture and all this stuff like to just, it's a huge risk yep. to, and it's a huge undertaking. Um, so what was that experience like for you when you, the, the whole process of moving from one country to another? Yeah, it was challenging because, you know, how my, how I searched my family situation started well, my parents came here first mm -hmm. um, and they left us in Haiti with our aunts and uncles uh, to go to school. So they came here to try to establish themselves and kind of get themselves off the ground. Um, and then after that, then they brought us over here. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, it's it's an adjustment. You know, I didn't speak English. Um, you know, so what did you, was it Patois or? Uh, Creole. Creole. It was yeah, Creole. Yeah, it's okay. a dialect of right. French, okay. kind of very gotcha. similar. Um, so, you know, now you're talking about I'm going to school. And I have no idea what people are like, no idea. I'm on the bus, no idea what people are saying, or I can't understand the language. Um, you know, we had some translators um, at the at the school that I went to in Cambridge. Um, I went to the Martin Luther King Junior High School in Cambridge. Yeah. And, you know, we had some good teachers that did a good job of slowly bringing me along as far as the language barrier. But you know, outside of the classroom, you know, in the it was it was challenging. It was challenging in terms of um, you know, making friends and, and, and trying to figure things out. Um, so it took some time for me to adjust to. It took some time for my entire family to adjust to it because my parents didn't speak English either. So, so I've got a question. So when when you're angry at your players, do you find yourself cursing them out <laughs> in, in, in Creole? No, no, <laughs> no, no okay. not at all, not at all. <laughs> Early in my career, when I was an assistant, maybe, uh, but nowadays, nah, we don't. Uh, I, I, yeah. At least in your mind. Yeah, and, and possibly in my <laughs> okay, mind. Right, possibly okay, in my okay. mind. Possibly in my mind. Uh, but yeah, that was that was a big adjustment for us. You know, um, going to school, going to the doctor, everything that you did, you had to figure out is there somebody there that can help us understand what what they're saying, what we need to do. So um, you know, we, we we figured it out. I think you know to the questions you guys asked earlier, all those things um, kind of prepared me to, to to go on and do what I did in the game of basketball because it was always a challenge. Uh, always a challenge. Um, how long do you think it took you to become at least conversational in English and mm -hmm. be able to understand what your classmates were saying, what was going on around you? And, and was there were there any things that really, you know, helped? Yeah, good you? question. Because I've always struggled with foreign languages, mm -hmm. you know, um, and it's, you know, it learning in school and all that sort of stuff. And, and I want my, my kids to be, to, to speak other languages, mm -hmm. you know, I think it's tremendously beneficial, but like for you, like how long did that process take of being able to at least understand, if not all the nuances and all the, like, just be conversational and, and were there, was there anything that helped? Yeah, that's a great question. There were two things that helped. It was cartoons. I watched a ton mm -hmm. of cartoons and I used to try to follow to understand Yep. Um, and then I read the sports page. It sounds crazy, but my uncle 
who had been here for a long time, kind of was kind of a mentor to our family. He would always stop by the house because he lived down the street from us. He would always bring the, the newspaper. And, you know, I just knew that I'd go through the paper. You know, I'd see a, you know, a guy dribbling a ball or baseball and I would take that section and I would try to read it. You know, whatever I could read, I could, those two things really helped my development. And it took about a year before I could really like function and understand the language properly. Um, I still had a strong accent, you know, uh, but yeah, it took about a year for me to get through all that stuff. That is amazing because that's the same process I followed when I was in Spain. You know, it was either cartoons because I had seen the cartoon in English. And, you know, when you watch so many of them, you remember yeah. what they're saying or you, you can, you know, through the actions of the cartoon, yep. you can, you know, figure it out. Exactly. And the exactly. sports page was everything. Sports page was you everything. You know, I'm like, oh, okay, that word looks familiar. All right, so, <laughs> and it took me about a year to, to really have a conversation with somebody and understand what they were saying. Exactly. You know, actually saying, wow, that is that's crazy. <laughs> I'm I'm, I'm going to try and get my kids to watch, my son to watch all the cartoons. I watch my <laughs> oldest, I mean, I have two, but the baby, you know, doesn't really understand even English right now. I mean, he does, but like, he's pretty limited. So, um, but get my oldest, Jack, to, to watch the cartoons that he's always watching over and over in another <laughs> language. Um, so the AAU scene, obviously very different. Bobby mm -hmm. and I have talked about it that from when, so you're a little bit older than me. You yep. were, your senior year of college was my senior year of high school. So mm -hmm. we were, um, but it was still, I, I would assume for you, the same for me that when AAU, when I was that age, like it was very limited. Yeah. It was very yeah. select. Yeah. One, you didn't get the hyper, the publicity. There wasn't YouTube, there wasn't Instagram, there wasn't any of that stuff. But also it was like, you really had to be good to make yeah. a team. Exactly. And now, there are teams for everybody. Some teams are great. Some teams are just money grabs, all that sort of stuff. Um, but how has the AAU scene changed? And what did you have to do to get exposure and get teams to notice you when you were coming up and mm. AAU was not the animal that it is? Today? Yeah, it's, it's funny you mentioned. I mean, growing up in Boston, I think we had uh, we had four AAU teams. Yeah. We had BABC. Yeah. Uh, we had... Um, MABC? Was, were they there then? MABC? No, nah, they weren't around. Okay. The, uh, the Wildcats yep. out of Wilmington. Yep. yep. Okay. All right. That was that was two. Then we had um, the New Bedford Buddies, who I played for yep. out of New Bedford. And then we had, um, I can't forget, I can't, I can't remember the fourth. But anyways, those were the four teams. Yeah. Okay. And every they had a tryout for, except BABC. BABC right. was selected. Right, 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 right. Yeah, they didn't. They didn't need to have. They didn't need they, to have they, a they came, If they came to you, you're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> they came to you. So, um, and and the buddies, we had, we were selected, but everybody else you tried out. So, um, the, the the numbers were limited, and coaches didn't travel with 11, 12 guys. Yeah, right. coaches traveled with seven, maybe eight maybe guys, eight, maybe yeah. eight, because you know you knew who your top guys were. Mm -hmm. So you know, you had to be on top of your game to 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 try to get some exposure, right, by getting one of these teams. And try to develop your game and get better. Where now it's you know it's like every town's got six, seven, eight, maybe nine AAU teams. So it's definitely a little bit different. Um, so the thing that I did was the, it was a balance. You know, my high school coach uh, played at UConn, so mm -hmm. he'd gone through the process of the recruiting process. So he understood that you don't want just not you don't want to just play AAU all summer yeah. and not work on your skills right. because you know, you're traveling all summer. You know, how many shots are you really getting up in the AAU game as an individual player? 
The, yeah. What do they say? The, the, the time you spend on the court, most of the time you spend on the court, you'll be passing the ball. Right. Right. So right. How, how many looks you going to get? How many looks you going to get? Yeah. And then how many times from a conditioning standpoint mm-hmm. are you going to play 25, 30 minutes? Mm-hmm. Even if you're the best player, you're probably not playing that. So, right. you know, he did a great job of making sure that I balanced that because I'd be I, I used to select the events we would go to because there wasn't as many events like we have now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So there was the like the Nationals, uh, the, the 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 New England State Championships. It was a big deal. Yep, right. So you was cut. You would kind of select the events you want to go to, and then you would spend the other times playing with your high school team because mm-hmm. that was a big thing that we did in Memphis, where we played together all summer. Yeah. You know, and whether it leaves, we go to camps together. Yeah. So for me personally, it was just a balance of it, and I try to t- talk to kids about that now. I said you don't have to go to every single event. Um, you know, you could still get exposure because if you're good, they're going to find you, especially nowadays. Um, so you can still do all those things, but you also got to make sure you're working on your craft, your footwork, your shooting, um, you know, all those things you're not getting every single day in AAU. Now, in AAU, obviously, you get the exposure um, and, and you get to travel, you get to you know meet different people, which I think is extremely important. But I think as you, as you, if you want to get better and develop into the best player you could possibly be, you got to make sure you balance that out. So how do you balance that? Because right now what I see is social media. Mm-hmm. And, okay, there, you're saying that there's a – you have to divide you, – you divided your time with your high school team mm-hmm. and choosing which tournaments to go to. Right. But now – all you have are highlight reels. Mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. so how much time are you <laughs> spending actually working on your game? Because for me, for Sam, for you, I'm sure working on your game meant there was no one around. There was no one you, around. You were just busting your butt, mad at yourself, and you know for not accomplishing something, and and just looking for some type of guidance. Personally, I don't see that guidance now. Yep. yep. You know because. What I'm looking at is most of the time the help that those kids need isn't the isn't the help of wanting to work. Right, right, right. There's something else missing. Yeah. And they don't understand that yet. Yeah. I think I think what plays a little bit of hand and I've seen it just growing up around here like yeah. you like you, Sam, is um, you know, if you're a really good player in the public schools, mm-hmm. you don't stay. Yep. Some they recruit mm-hmm. you. So now you're at a prep school yeah. where it's a little different. Um, you know, you don't develop that camaraderie with teammates because it's 90% of these prep schools, everybody's from different parts yep. of the country. Right. Right. Whereas if you're a high school, we're all from the same town. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're all, you know, hey, let's go work mm-hmm. out, Bob. Let's go work out, Sam. Yes. So I think you're missing a little bit of that. Um, and, you know, and I don't, you know, I'm not saying this in a negative way, but, you know. No, be negative. Be negative. <laughs> <laughs> the thing I've always fought with the state, you know, I've always thought about with the state of Massachusetts, they don't allow coaches to work with their kids in the offseason. Yeah, that's that's yeah. crazy to me because so many other states, they they can do that. They can coach the kids in offseason tournaments, leagues, everything. And and I think that I'm not saying the only reason, like we're a smaller state, mm-hmm. but like Massachusetts has good athletes. Uh, but the the player development it's yeah. not always it's not there compared to other states. Uh, and I, I think it has to do with the fact that, like, the kids aren't getting year round support from the same people. You're changing. You know, if, if you've got money or you're lucky enough to be, you know, really stand out at a young age, you can find trainers to mm-hmm. work with you or you can pay for it. But like you're changing 
you know, season to season, high mm-hmm. school, AAU, yeah. you know, fall league, which you can't, or summer, late summer league, which your your head coach can't coach. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, and, and, and that continuity, I think, is really big. No, nah, it's huge. It's huge because, you know, my first experience in being an assistant coach, I remember going out to Texas to recruit. And I get there, they're, they're working out at 6 a.m. And I get there and they're, they're doing a, team, a whole team practice. And the coach is, 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 is involved. And afterwards, I said, Coach, I, you know, I, cause I don't know the rules of Texas. What kind of rules? Yeah. I, just, out there, I just know the rules in, 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 in Massachusetts. It's like, nah, Coach, we get to work with our kids year round. Yeah. So then lunchtime, I go to another workout. Lunchtime, they, they got to practice. They set a yep. block where you practice. Mm-hmm. So, and then you go outside, you see the football team, they're practicing. So now, you know, you look at the top 50 players in the country in football and basketball, they're from, they're from the state of Texas. They're from Florida. <laughs> right. Because the coaches get to have their hands and impact the kids. And, mm-hmm. Most importantly, build the relationships. Yeah. You know, um, it's funny. I was working at the NCAA camp last week in Memphis, and one, they, there were a ton of high school coaches from public schools. And one of the things they comment about, we can't build the relationships that we want with our kids. So that's why when they get to a certain point, they end up transferring. Yeah. Because we we just can't we can't be in the court with them if they're playing pickup. I can't be in the gym. Right. So, you know. It, I think that's why you look at the the, the, the the public schools in Massachusetts, basketball has really gone down. Yep. You know, as a coach, you know, we want to recruit everybody. But, mm-hmm. I mean, at other times I'm searching to, to try to recruit local kids because I want to because I'm in Waltham. Yeah. I'm in Boston. So um, I think that part of it's really changed. I What I remember being an athlete, and I played multiple sports, and then baseball wound up being my, my top sport mm-hmm. at college, you know, especially after college, but like, but across sports, the, the three that I played, for me at least, and I maybe it's gotten, I think it's still kind of the same. I know that the AAU scene's gotten bigger, so there's more structure for kids. Um, but like, you kind of, if you really want to get good in Massachusetts, mm-hmm. have to be prepared to be lonely while you're getting good. Because mm-hmm. there was a lot of time, me by myself or me with my dad, I was fortunate enough to have a very involved dad, but he didn't make me go out there he just was mm-hmm. real my dad played out at umass he was a f- phenomenal athlete throughout you know he was playing in these college leagues when he was in his 40s mm-hmm. and i was a little kid in the boston area back when there used to be legit college leagues in right boston area. right um and he just was real with me and said look like you're he was six seven wow. I'm, I'm five eight and change <laughs> you know and he was real he's like you're not you don't have my size it's not gonna happen i, I don't see that happening like you're not going to ever be the biggest. There's always going to be people that are just more gifted than you. Like, if you really want this, like, I can't want it for you. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have to outwork it, yep. people. Yep. So, which means being out there. All the, and it's up to you. Yep. And that's up to me. And I took him up on that. And he would, anytime I wanted to go to the park, the field, like, he'd go out, he'd work me out. So, I was fortunate to have some continuity and always having him in my in my life and mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why my athletic career i think really fell off the face of the earth after he died was because it just there was something missing but the, there was a lot of lonely time for me in the sense of like being alone mm-hmm. getting better mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. there wasn't that year-round structure because it wasn't allowed like where are you going to get that for the most part you're going to get that the, t- the high school team you play on that's where you work you spend the most time together five days a week during the season you know, off season, you get some lifts in and stuff as a team. Right. And if you're not allowed to have the coach that's kind of holding everything together, yeah. everybody goes their separate way exactly. in the summer, in the fall, in the. Um, and so, 
you know, I, I just I think you have to be prepared to have a lot of time alone and be very self-motivated for all kids, but especially in Massachusetts because of the way that it's set up. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think that probably works in a couple of ways because my, my grandmother was was Haitian also. No way. Yeah. I so, didn't know that. I didn't know yeah, that. Oh, wow. yeah, yeah. So she used to always tell me when you mentioned being alone, it reminded me of her. She told me from a young age, boy, you better learn how to be a loner. Okay. Yeah, I remember yeah. you telling me that quote. Right. And I remembered it. And I remember my boys going out and, you know, they're doing whatever they're doing, smoking, doing whatever, or yeah. you know, drinking. And like you said earlier, I'm at the court. Yeah. I'm alone, but yeah. it gave me time to figure, man, I'm really not that good. Right, right, right. You know, right, right. and I've got to deal with myself. Right. Yeah. And when you're dealing with yourself and you're looking in that mirror, it becomes so tough. Yeah. Because you start realizing I'm, I'm human. Oh, my gosh. Maybe I didn't say to myself I was human, but I said, no, I'm not that good. Right. I, I can't hit this shot. So now I'm going looking for my, my high school JV coach at the time. Hey, Mr. Barksdale, come in. You, you got to help me out. Uh -huh. He said, OK, young fella, you want it, huh? I said, no, I want it. I want it. I want it. So he would help. And I'd go back and be alone and I, I'd keep fighting. This is amazing, man. How, how many similarities? Are no, there? just to touch point on both great points because if you want, like we talked about earlier, you want something that you want something bad, you gotta go get it. So it's funny to me when guys go. I, I'll call a guy, say, "Hey, did you get shots up today? Working, man, coach. I couldn't find nobody to get me. I said, what? <laughs> I need somebody to rebound for I me. Said, what? I said, what? <laughs> you get your cardio and get your own rebound <laughs> if you're and, a shooter, and, man. And, and that's <laughs> what I did. I remember going down the park, but I'm like, just shoot. Chasing the ball down, yep. rolling it, working on my footwork, yep. working on my dribble, going to get the ball. I never once in my life coming up had anybody work me out, except my high school coach during the season, because that was the time they were allowed. Yeah. So when I hear that from kids nowadays, and I, I just, I just inside I laugh, because yeah. I'm like, if you really want it, you got to go get it. Like you said, your yeah. dad told you that yeah. you had to do something different because you're not going to be yeah. six seven, right? So mm -hmm. they told me I wasn't going to be six two if I want it. I got to go get it. Yeah, and you know it's uh, just one little aside is I want to I want to make sure that I acknowledge how fortunate and uh, some people might call it blessed or I, I'll just call it privileged I was to have the dad that I had I lost him as mm -hmm. a teenager, but I had him up until that point and in how involved he was in my life it made a huge difference where it's you know we're going to 20 years mm. uh this fall that i so i will have lived longer without him than than with him but i was so lucky to have had him for the time that i had him because and that doesn't make the hurt go away or anything like that but right. um i can be aware that there were so many friends kids talented people in both athletics and just in life that were very gifted that didn't have that kind of support system growing up that i had so it gave me a big advantage mm -hmm. um so that's just an aside. One one thing that you made me think of, and for both you guys, but Gene, because you grew up in the same area I did, I'll just a little bit ahead. But yeah. uh, um, you know, when when I was growing up, from the time that I was a little kid watching, you know, my dad and the older kids you look up to playing, and then through high school myself, there was a huge pickup scene yeah. around the Boston area. Yeah. You talk about in Cambridge, um, whether it's Rinjav when you're younger, the the the, the Rinjav courts, yeah. the, the the Patrick Ewing courts Absolutely. down down by the river. Yep. I think the Corporal Burns is the name of them, but I call them the Patrick Ewing courts because that's where he learned how to play. Yep. The Fenway area over in Boston, like there was pickup everywhere, and I get depressed driving around 
anywhere I drive around, whether it's Wilmington here, Lowell, where I live now, rare occurrences I get back into Cambridge, courts are just empty, man. And I remember there being, you having to wait hours <laughs> to get on, like your nighttime under the lights. Like the, I feel like what it lacked in structure, like you need structure, you need actual development time, but there's also something to be said for being a teenager and having a grown man with his grown man strength just bullying yeah. you on the court and it's <laughs> you know there's a level of toughness you have to develop yeah, 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 and yeah, i just yeah. feel i i don't see kids playing pickup ball anymore yeah. and i feel like they're missing something yeah man it's 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 funny you bring that up like we my brother and i grew up the same way like you yeah. and like you guys playing around the park we talk about it all the time i mean there's literally nobody in these parks and i think part of it is you know like you guys said the the access that these young people have these days in terms of being able to get a trainer, the AAU. So now you don't have many kids around for the summer. Everybody's traveling, right? Mm -hmm. So I think all those things go hand in hand. But I think the biggest part is kids don't want to play in the pavement. They, right. they don't want to play outside anymore. Right. Everybody's afraid to get hurt. Um, I mean, I'll never forget this. That's kind of how, that's what turned me to a different player was when I started playing out of the park. Mm -hmm. I, had, I had a friend that took a liking to me. He's, to this day, we're still friends. His name is Tom Blanchard. He lives in Waltham. I remember going down the park. I think I was a freshman in high school. And I show up, there's like 40 dudes there in Malden, Mass. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, Medford Malden yeah. is right there. Lights. I mean, we're pl they're playing from 5 to 10 at night. Mm -hmm. Right? And I get there and I'm like, yo, I got winners. Dudes looked at me like, get, get out of here. Because I, I got there early. I was like yeah. the first person at the park. Right? They're like, nah, man. You, you got next, guy. <laughs> I kept hearing, you got next, you got next. Finally, some guy... I, Took my ball and just kicked it in the park. Oh, right? man, one of those, huh? Right? Kicked it. He said, get out of here, kid. And I said, what? So my friend, my buddy Tommy, I met him down the park. He said, man, just keep coming, keep coming. And I just kept coming to the point where I would always get the last game of the night where everybody was done, right? Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's like, <laughs> nobody wants to play, but I'm, I'm, I'm playing my hardest. Mm -hmm. I'm competing. And then I just kept getting better to the point where by the time I was a sophomore, I was the every time I showed up, I was the first pick. Yeah. So there's something that, you know, to be said for that. Playing against bigger, older people that, you know, I think it builds character. I think yes. it builds toughness. Yes. Mental toughness and physical toughness, which you need. So for me, that was a big part of my game. I don't think I would have been the player I was if I didn't go through those trials and tribulations of mm -hmm. playing down the park every single night yeah. and having people not you know, give me, let me go to the basket, lay it in. You know, yeah. I go home with bruises. Yes. But it was, it was just how we did it. You know, it, was, it, it helped me, you know, it helped me in the classroom as well. Just that mental, um, that mentality of just, man, there's, if these guys are telling you, you know, you don't belong, you, hey, I'm just going to try to outwork everybody. Well, you know? so what, what you're, what, what I hear is that what you had to develop through tough times. You know, you had to learn how, and I'm saying this, this is purposely being said, mm -hmm. you learn that your feelings, while they are relevant, they're not always reliable. Yeah. Right? Yep. Because you actually had to fight through those feelings to actually reach another level. Correct. Right? Correct. And as far as, you know, the kids now, you had mentioned them getting trainers. You know, when you're playing outside, I mean, your body is going to adapt to the surface that you're playing on. Absolutely. So you didn't get all those injuries back then. 
You know, yeah. these kids getting yeah. hurt at such young levels. You know, we played on some nasty, nasty stuff. Man, nasty, <laughs> And now, you know, I, I'm watching as I'm training kids. I'm I'm looking at them, and I, you know, some of the things I see, I'm like, oh my gosh, man, we got to start from point zero. Mm. <laughs> no, yeah. this is nuts. Yep, yep, you'll never survive. Right. Because once they find athletes who are naturally better than they are, yeah, it's over. It's over. It's over. No, you're 100 percent correct, man. Yeah, it, 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 to me, it's just it, like you, like you guys said, just playing five on five, even playing five on five yeah. indoors is not as prevalent as it was yep. back then. You know, because mm-hmm. now everybody's, you know, they watch yeah. LeBron, they watch KD, they mm-hmm. watch CP3. They're just doing stuff in the half court, yeah. mm-hmm. working on, but they've, they, they don't understand. Like those guys have done that. They've yeah. already been through that process. Right. So I think, you know, it goes hand in hand. Well, let me say guys get to the next level. They get hurt very easily because they're not used to that. You know? So what, what was the recruiting process like for you when it came time that, you know, you were instilled, you, you had the people look telling you kind of like, Hey, you can be a D1 athlete. You mm-hmm. always knew you wanted to play. Um, you wound up at Northeastern. I assume you were recruited by Rudy because yeah. he was there before Ron. Yeah. Um, and, but what was that process like and why did you choose Northeastern? It's a, it's a funny story. I think we talked earlier. Um, my senior year in high school, and I get up, we're playing the state tournament. We're playing this, like the North Finals uh, against South Boston. I'll never forget it. We had about four Division One players and they took mm-hmm. it loaded. And I get up in the morning, my mom says, uh, your neck is swollen. I said, yeah, I just been lifting. I ain't lift a weight, you know, right the season, I ain't lift no right. weight. <laughs> so make a long story short, you know, I go to the hospital and, um, you know, I get up, you know, I get my neck checked. I had to take a biopsy. Next thing you know, they come in and tell me I got non-lymphoma uh, Hodgkin's. Yeah. Um, so after hearing that news, my recruiting then became on the back burner because I had to, you know, get healthy, figure out what's mm-hmm. the next step. So I went from getting recruited you know, 30, 30 offers, people, because I didn't make a decision because I still had to go get my SATs correct. So the, the phone stopped ringing. Like, literally, nobody, the phone stopped ringing. So I'm like, man, I just worked four years, mm-hmm. you know, did everything I needed to do in the classroom, on the court. And yet, right now, I got nothing. I got nothing. And this is my senior year. So my high school coach, you know, being the guy that he is, you know, reached out to some prep schools, and next thing you know, I'm at Bridgeton Academy. Okay. You know, I had, I had, I had to take a year off, go through treatment, get stronger and bigger. I'm at Bridgeton Academy. I have, I think I, you know, I break the scoring record, the assist record. Um, that summer before I went there, Northeastern had just reached out to kind of see where things are at. Uh, so I get up there and and I just tear it up, man. And Jay Young was not a head coach at Fairfield. Stayed in touch with me the whole summer. You know, just checking in on me, just, hey, man, how you doing, man? Like, you good? How's treatment going? No other school was doing it. Mm. So. Dre's uh, a good dude. Dre's my guy. He's, he's my guy. So I committed. I said, you know what? Man, I don't even care about playing games at prep school before. I'm just going to commit to these guys because they just mm-hmm. been loyal. And that's how I was raised. Um, so <laughs> as we play the season, man, I, you know, obviously I, I, I have a hell of a year. You know, I got like 25 schools calling me. And hey, you sh- you committed? You sh- did you sign it? Because you had to wait to sign the yeah. the letter yeah, of intent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they're calling my coach. So, you know, again, I'm a lawyer guy, man. And I just stayed with Northeastern because, you know, they were just Jay would primarily was just there for me when I was going through a time where, 
You know, I had nothing. I had nothing when it came to scholarships, coaches calling me. Uh, he was the one guy, my high school coach, obviously, and my support system. Um, he was the one guy that was there for me, so I just stuck with that. Not, I mean, going back, uh, your, your senior year of, of high school, you, you get diagnosed and, and then you had to take a year off. Like, what was that like being, you know, nobody thinks when they're in high school, they're going to get diagnosed with cancer. Yep. And, and just what was that, that process like? I mean, my wife, we were talking, is going through it now. Yeah. And, yeah. um, Luckily, she's on the other side of it and, and nothing ever prepares you for it. But especially when you're a high school kid and you think about like what was on your mind in high school for, you know, <laughs> what, just just what what was that? Well, experience? I was like, you know what? I was like, it was my senior year. I was like, man, great high school career, you know, broke every record here. I'm like, man, I'm going to enjoy myself. I'm going to go to the prom. That was my mindset before all that. Right. Then that happens. And then I'm like, I got to take a step back and figure out you know, what I need to do to keep pushing forward. Mm -hmm. um, I think the biggest thing that we talked about earlier was the fact that the people around me never allowed me to get down or feel sorry for myself. They never allowed, my, especially my brother. Mm -hmm. I'll never forget it, man. I was going to, there was an all-star game was big um, back then. It was, you know, I had gotten the diagnosis already and my brother was taking me to the game and I, I get in the car, man, I think I was, Ball and crying, just like, you know, you know how you say, why me? Everybody yes. else goes through that. And my brother looked at me and said, man, you better wake up. This is life. You got something thrown at you. Now we got to figure it out. We're going to be here for you. We got to figure out how we're going to get you through this mentally. Mm -hmm. And from then on, my mindset just changed. I went to that game. I played my played like it was my last game. So I think everything that I went through, in high, in eighth grade, seventh grade, high school, mm -hmm. prepared me for that because nothing was ever easy. You know, I had to learn English. I never played basketball before I got here. I had to learn how to play basketball. I had to learn how to get along with people socially. So I think all those things just prepared me from a mindset standpoint. Like, listen, this happens. You know, this happens to a lot of people. You know, just it just so happened to you. So you know, I think you know, I had I mean, Coach Riser again was just unbelievable and saying, listen, you're going to get through this. You're going you're gonna to still reach your goals. But right now, you got to focus on getting better. And I think once I heard those words, um, it just allowed me to then continue to keep pushing forward. I just, nobody ever allowed me to feel bad for myself and sorry for myself. I think that was a big thing in me getting through it. And it's not, you know, it's not easy. It's a, it's a tough thing for every body to go to individually, but it's tougher on the people around your family, your right. friends, right? Because you know they're they're they care about you, they're worried about you, and I think it's more stressful on them yeah. than it is on you if you have the right mindset. Yeah, I, I listen to Sam. You know, we get a chance to talk sometimes, and uh, you know, I, I can hear the pain in his mm -hmm. voice. You know, yeah, when it's yeah. because his wife's going through this, and you know, it's interesting. You had mentioned mindset. Mm -hmm. It was Carol Dweck who wrote a great book, you know, called Mindset. And she talked about, um, you know, growth goals, you know, instead of the other, you know, the, the, yeah. the regular goals that we always set ourselves up for failure, you know, oh, why this, why did yeah. this happen, you know, whatever. Yeah. But she talked about growth goals, that being the main catalyst for any development, you know. Mm -hmm. And through the whole process, you know, I've had a chance to talk to Sam and listen to him and I can hear the growth in his voice. Yeah. I can see 
you know, his demeanor changing, you know, not because it's any less painful, right. but because he's learned how to grow through the pain. Mm-hmm. Right. And what we're looking at today is, and I'm, I'm, I'm hearing you, you're diagnosed with cancer. Your wife is diagnosed with cancer. Now, all of a sudden, you know, this is saying, okay, well, what's important to me? Yeah. How do I get through this? Because you have to be strong enough to change your mindset. And as, as you know, any doctor would tell you, your mindset is going to have a huge effect mm-hmm. on your health. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yep. Yeah. I mean, we're talking chemical reactions right now in your body. And going back to basketball, when we look at these kids and they can't handle the a minimum amount of adversity. Yeah. Kids, how the hell do y'all make it? <laughs> you, you won't ever make it. I'm sitting here with two people, one diagnosed with cancer, the other, his wife is diagnosed with cancer, and you think you got problems? Yeah, yeah. To wait <laughs> up. Oh, my God. And just to piggyback on that, like I was listening to Sam, and I could, inside, I could visualize kind of what my mom, my dad, everybody was going through. Mm. It, it, it was, but the other thing that made me realize that hey man, you gotta wake up, is my first trip to Children's Hospital. Mm. My first, I'll never forget, I walk in and you see all these young people, man. You know, they they they, they, they got more serious things going on. And I think that visually made me understand that mm. I'm lucky. Mm. Even though I'm, yeah. I'm in a situation that these people are gonna fuck the worst. Wow. There's five, six, seven yeah. year old kids, man. So it's. You know, it, 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 it's tough, man. Like, life is tough. And I think, like you mentioned, like kids nowadays, I mean, sometimes they don't understand that. Mm. They don't understand that. You're going to have to go through some type of adversity, some type of obstacle to get to where you want to get to. But you got to keep pushing. You yeah. got to keep pushing. Yeah, we, uh, as, as a kid, when, when we uh, got selected to the McDonald's game, they had us go visit the Ronald McDonald house. Mm-hmm. Where you know you see, you see a lot of kids with a lot of problems, yeah. And I am painfully saying this mm-hmm. that I didn't realize what I was looking at. I just wanted there to be nice and you know whatever. But you know now that you know I'm older, and uh, as I got older, you, know, you realize what effect they were trying to make. I wish they would have told us. Yeah. You know, right. guys, this is what you're looking at. You don't understand how fortunate you are, yeah. but. It feels like it was more of a PR. All these kids, you know, they represent, you know, yeah. the game and this, that, and the other. And uh, we were never challenged on our thought processes, you know. Yeah. And I, I wish they would have done that because I'm listening to you guys' story, and you know, I'm I'm, I'm still learning. Yeah, yeah, it was horrible, terrible. Yeah, I, I didn't get it when I was in high school. It took me, you know, I I just I didn't have the I think the wake up call that you had on on just you know. Don't take a day for granted, and mm-hmm. and and always be aware of that. There are things bigger than yourself going yes. on. When when you got to college, did you play three years for Rudy? Or? I played three for oh, Rudy. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, what was your college experience like? What would you say about about your time at Northeastern? I still, when I go to campus, um, you know, I have a hard time getting into the city. A lot of the time, I it's very hard for me to go to Cambridge just because you know. I loved growing up there. I loved the experiences I had. I think if I had grown up somewhere else, I wouldn't be the same person that mm-hmm. I am today. Um, it, you know, I just, it, it, at the time I didn't appreciate it, but I do now, but it's just hard for me because there's such a feeling of like loss. Both my parents are gone. Absolutely. But I still, when I go to Northeastern, I don't have those feelings. I have really great feelings, mm-hmm. even though 
it's changed. I go by Punter's Pub and I feel sad because <laughs> it's boarded up. I go by where the Pizzeria Uno used yeah, to be and yeah, I feel yeah. sad because that's gone. Yep. And now I go by Chicken Lou's and I feel sad because that's yeah, gone. Yeah, that's gone. But Chicken Lou's is gone. Chicken Lou's. He retired, yeah. man. What? He retired. It's just empty there. It, it's uh, yeah. It's it's it makes me Whoa. makes me sad that um, but uh, but uh, Northeastern itself, I have a great feeling. I'll go into camp. To campus you mm-hmm. know I, I go in there so much more than i go to cambridge just to kind of walk around right. sometimes uh during one of my during my wife's surgery because it was supposed to be a six-hour surgery it wound up being like a 10-hour surgery i walked from beth israel over to northeastern walked around the campus the coaching staff was there i mm-hmm. have a good relationship with the current coaching staff i yep. went hung out with them with like brian mcdonald and manny adako and mm-hmm. um but i just walked around i spent a lot of time just walking around campus mm-hmm. and, and it still always feels good to me but what were your experiences like at northeast what would you say about your time as a athlete as a student at man i had my, my my buddies and i that we play with you know we talk about all the time we had a great experience um the only thing that we wish we won more we got a chance to go to the NCAA tournament mm-hmm. but we got a chance to make you know lifelong friends and and go through a lot of tough times that prepared us to to be all successful in our lives now you know a lot of my former teammates are doing really well marcus blossom yeah you know is, is the athletic director at creighton yeah you know Harold Miller uh, was a superintendent in school in Boston. Like, yep. We have so many guys doing so many positive things that I think a lot of the stuff that we went through on the court, off the court, prepared us to get to these situations. So um, I wouldn't change anything. Like I said, I wish you know we want a little bit more. But um, other than that, man, I had a great time. Made a great, made, made a lifelong, lasting friendships. Not just with athletes, just you know students I would have never come in contact with mm-hmm. had I not gone to Northeastern. Um, that 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 taught me something different than what I was used to. Um, so um, overall, man, I had a great experience. It, it it was such an interesting mix of guys that you played with. You kind of bridged the gap between your first three years under Rudy, mm-hmm. your last year under under Ron and Frank. And I always say Ron and Frank because yeah. Ron was the head coach, but Frank was <laughs> kind of running the show almost to, to a degree there. Uh, but, you know, you, you just think about the different guys that were – that were there, Marcus Bloss, you know, and what mm-hmm. he's doing. Yeah, Jesse Dunn as a yeah, walk-on, yeah, who's, been a, who's been a success. He's been able to support himself in the music exactly. industry for like more than a decade, which is crazy in this day and mm-hmm. age. Um, you know, you had uh, 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 Toby Britton, yeah. uh, incredible talent, uh, just all different guys. And then you look at that league when you were there, and there, yeah. was, there was legit, I mean, the America East today, I would say the talent isn't the same as then. And I think it's because kids, you were able to fly under the radar. But yep. you look at, you were there when Speedy was there, yeah, right? Speedy was Speedy there. Speedy was there yep. at the beginning of your career, the end of your career. You had Taylor Coppenrath yeah. and TJ Sorrentine and uh, all the BU guys that yeah. were that were young. Matt Turner, the most freakish athlete I've ever seen. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, Agreed. Austin Ganley at UNH. Yep. Uh, Andy you, Bedard at Maine. Yep, yeah. Andy Bedard at Maine. What what was what was the league like and what was what was your experiences like playing? Oh man, it was you know it, it was totally what I expected as far as going to Division One school. It was you know every single night you had to understand that you're not the king of the matchup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, coming from high school and prep school, you know, I knew every single night I step on the court, I'm better than anybody. Well, in college, man, you you got to bring it every day in practice because that guy's trying to take my minutes, yeah. and I'm trying to take his minutes. So. You know, it's friendly competition as teammates, but, you know, we are, we both want to play. So it wasn't just so much the league. It was just so much 
you know, the preparation, the, 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 the way you approach the game on the court, off the court, uh, mentally trying to prepare yourself night in, night out, you know, to, to go against these good players. Like everything had to be done right. Pre-game meal, uh, make sure you, you know, you get off your feet, shoot around. So the college game is, was, was brand new to me in my first year because I had never gone through it. So when, once I became used to that preparation, you know, I think I, I, I made the most of it. But um, nowadays, you know, you know, you try to tell young kids, there's so much more to go and just being one of the other. Right. Yeah. How do you deal with, you had mentioned earlier that when you were diagnosed, you went from 20, you know, 20 offers to zero contact. Zero. Right? Zero. A lot of these kids, now you now that you're a head coach, how do you deal with once a kid, once you see the kid just won't cut it, whether he can't get in the grand ice because of grades, mm -hmm. right? Or they're just not good enough. There's yeah. a better option. Yep, yep. How do you ease off from the kid? Because the kids are all gung-ho. They're ready to commit. They're ready to commit, yeah. Right? Yeah. That's got to be difficult. Um, it is difficult. It's very difficult. But the one thing that I've learned is I got to be – honest and upfront. I know it might not be something you want to hear, mm -hmm. right? I might have to call and say, listen, we're, you know, we're going to go in a different direction. You know, I know we've been recruiting you, but we evaluated you the last, we don't think you fit what we do, mm -hmm. obviously. And we don't, we don't know if we can get you academically. I don't think you can get in. Right. So I think you have to be willing to have those tough conversations. And I know going through, I'm sure you probably went through it, or maybe not, you were McDonald's All-American. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? So everybody was calling you, right? But I think me going through the recruiting process as a player and having coaches kind of go the opposite way of not telling me the truth, mm -hmm. do you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. It allowed me to then say, when I become a head coach, I want to be I want to be upfront with that kid and let him know. Right. So at least now he can have time to look for other options. Mm -hmm. I think that's and sometimes people don't like it. Believe right. it or not, they don't like it. And but at least. I'm laying all the cards on the table and I'm letting you know that, hey, this isn't going to work out. You know, it's not, you know, you, you just haven't done enough. And I think, you know, nowadays people don't want to hear that. They, they, they want to tell you how, how great you are and uh, how good you are. And, have there, have there been any, any kids that have been like, look, you're making a mistake? Continue recruiting me? No, you know what? We haven't had that. No, okay. Um, but <laughs> a couple of parents have said that. A couple you know, parents. Right? Uh, but that's that's the norm. It comes with the job, you know. So, um, so yeah, I think just being upfront and, and, and honest with them and, and letting them know, hey, this is who we see you to be. If that's not who you see, you know, we're gonna let you know as a staff. Right. So I think we've had success doing it that way. What was it like having a coaching change before your senior year? You have and and. You know, you had the head coach you played for for three years. You had Jay as an assistant. I'm not sure how long he was. I can't remember my timeline, how long he was at Northeastern within two years. I think so, yeah. So that was probably a blow when he left, uh, if you had developed that relationship mm -hmm. anyways. But you deal with a coaching change your senior year, you know, very different styles, I think. And just you, a coach coming in who didn't recruit you. A lot of the time, you know, I understand when coaches inherit players that, you know, they're like, oh, well, you know, I haven't put in the same commitment. I don't have it. But I really don't like what I see the trend of a lot of coaches, which is they come in and they'll look at running out yeah. and inherited players mm -hmm. a lot of the time. It really bothers me that they don't. It's like if your job is based on talent assessment, yeah. personality assessment, why don't you assess some of the, the guys that 
yeah, they weren't recruited by you. They were there before you, but like come in, see what they're all about and, and really give an honest chance. Cause they've, you know, so a lot of them have put in a lot for that school already. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that isn't there. And I just, the, the way that some coaches will come in and will, will try and run players out that they didn't recruit even good players, good kids. Yep. What was it like for you when that coaching change happened? And do you think if you played today with the the portal the way it is, the fact that you can be eligible immediately, when you were playing, you have one year left of eligibility, you'd have to sit out a year yeah. to play a year somewhere else. That could be a big deterrent. To, Absolutely. To, let, let me add something to that question. I just want to ask. So along with what um, along with what Sam just asked, how do you college basketball is still a business? Mm-hmm. So when you're walking in with those kids, it's, I mean, I would use Deion Sanders for, yeah. for that example, yeah. you know, where he's like, you know, I got Louie coming. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> right. And you see that, okay, this kid just isn't good enough. I've got X amount of your contract. Yeah. I yeah. got to get rid of the dead weight. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. And nothing personal against the kid, but mm-hmm. maybe they're not, how, how, maybe they're not what you want. How right. You, again, how do you differentiate? I think at that level to answer Sam's question, the, 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 the college game now has changed from student athlete with the NIL to, mm-hmm. to yeah. business. Yeah. So I think the mindset, like a Dion mindset has like, man, they hired me to win. You know, some of you guys are getting paid or most of you guys are getting paid. So if you're not cutting it, I got to go with I got to go with the yeah. next guy. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like that when I was coming up and playing or when you were coming up and playing. I think because the mindset in terms of the game, college basketball has shifted. But the coach's mind shift now has to shift. Hey, some coaches not getting five years to change the program anymore. You might get two because now you got the transfer portal. I mean, you could basically assemble your team. Yeah. And a lot of people are doing that. So I think that's a little different, yeah. right? Um, I think with my situation to answer your question was, I love playing for Ronnie and Frank. The reason being is those guys came in and their mindset was, they were honest and upfront. Is this Frank Martin we're talking yep. about? Yeah, okay. he was Ron's, Ron Everhart's assistant. Oh, there oh, was those two together. Oh my! Oh my God! Yeah, there was no like, hey man, you know, it was like, hey man, this is this is what we need from you. Yeah. And I think, you know, I knew I appreciated that. That's 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 how my high school coach was. If you were if you weren't any good, he let you know. Mm-hmm. You could either put your head down and go in the corner, or you could say, you know what, I'm gonna respond. And that's what I enjoyed playing for those guys. I still. Have a relationship with Frank and, and Ron, um, so you know for me personally, and I can't you know yeah. answer for everybody else. Um, I knew I appreciated that, and it may, again it made me a better person, it made me a better coach uh, down the line because I just always thought just you know honesty and, and hard work and, and you know nobody's gonna hand you anything and, and, and trying to do the right things. I always thought that was the key to having success, and those guys that's what they brought. And that's why I think Frank, you know, and, and Ronnie's second yeah. year program, Jose Barrera, yeah. pro, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, but you got to have, it's it's all about, you know, and I had to go through this as a young coach. It's all about recruiting the right guys that have your mindset and your vision. Because you can recruit talent, but mm-hmm. if they don't have that mindset and vision, you're not going to get anywhere. But they got to have that. Uh, so I think that's what those guys ended up doing down the line. Could is there anyone that stands out if I ask, like, who do you think was your most talented? I'm not saying I had the best career of a talented teammate at Northeastern. Is there anyone that jumps out at you? That's a good question. I got to think about it. Most talented was uh, Ricky Cranford. Ricky Cranford, man. He's 6'6", 
uh, New York City. He went to St. Louis, transferred to us. He averaged 22 a game his junior year. Yeah. Um, he was a guy that I thought could play at the next level if he, he just didn't have that total mindset. You know, he just didn't have that work ethic. Mm. He got by on everything on his size and, you know, his skill. But if he had put in the work, I really thought he was a guy that could that could take off and play overseas, make a lot of money, or have a chance to play at the, you know, in the NBA for a couple of years. Yeah, you look at some of the guys that were there before. I mean, everyone knows uh, Frank and Ron was the recruiter, but like J.J. Barea yeah. got there, yeah. goes on to NBA career. Yeah. Nobody thought he was going to do that in college other than J.J. But, yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, because it's like my height. Um, <laughs> but but uh, but you had him, you had Aaron Davis, yeah. who's a tremendous talent right. who came in and whose son is now uh, about to embark on his Division One career. Aaron Davis' no son. Way. Aaron Davis is going to be a freshman at Bryant University this no. year on the team. Oh, shoot. I yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah. So that's full circle. They're, they're, so there, but like you had Q Randall was, yeah. was talented, but yeah. I don't think he ever used up his eligibility. Like no. he no. was there for, I think, one year. Frank one year. Yeah. Yeah. Toby Britton, I always think was an incredible talent based yeah. on who he was in high school, but obviously there was a lot going on there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I always forget about Ricky yeah. was there, yeah. you know, because he, I, I don't think that he, Maybe he played out his eligibility. He but did. He, and he's senior year with Ronnie didn't go according to plans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They weren't up to speed. Yeah. <laughs> so what, so your final game, I mean, I was there for your final game as a senior in high school. So I was looking at some of the schools and everything. Mm-hmm. Tournament game, Matthews Arena. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. BU, yeah, yeah. Uh, Crosstown Rival, um, you know, in the America East Tournament. And, and then it's over. Do you remember what you felt when your career I mean, this is going yeah. back a long ways came I remember. to an end i remember what what was going what was that experience like and then did you start thinking about next steps yeah yeah um i remember walking off the court man like uh, dennis wolf yep, great coach, coach great team man they, they played a triangle in two you don't see that in college <laughs> you know um uh, but no it, it worked it worked we, yeah. we couldn't figure out what you wanted to do but uh no i remember going in the you know in the locker room and coach everhard talked giving us a spiel and then um, I sat in a shower for like a good hour with the water just dripping all over me because now I'm like, man, this could be it. And this is something that I've done the last eight, nine years. This has been part of my life. So now my mind shifts to what am I going to do next? You know, I was, I was a good student. I was going to get my degree. That wasn't ever a question, but, um, did I want to play after or did I want to coach? I knew it was going to be one of those two things right away. Um, so just, just had the shower of my head, man, for a good hour. Then, you know, we went out as a team after later that night. And then everything kind of fell into place once I started to kind of f- p- figure out what I wanted to do along those lines. Did you know right away? Did you make the decision of coaching? Yeah, I know. I actually had an opportunity to play in, uh, in France. And you know how it was back then with the whole overseas thing. If you didn't have a good agent. If you didn't have somebody leading you, man, things get a little fishy. And I kind of sensed that with my situation. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what, man, I'm I, I'm not going to go over there and, and just chance it. It's the first time in my life. Um, I, 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 I think I'm, I regretted it a little bit by not pushing forward for that challenge. But it worked out because I got into high school coaching yeah. with Coach Riser at Medford and got a chance to go through that for a couple of years before I got into the college game. So... It ended up working for me, but I wish I would have pursued that. That, but you know, you can't. You can't have any regrets. You gotta push forward. 
Where did you, where did you, co- what was your first college stop coaching? At WPI, WPI with Chris Bartley, who was an assistant at Medford when I played. So okay. again, right. mindset, right? You know, he had the same mindset as, you know, as I did, as Coach Riser did. So it was like the perfect starting point for me as a coach. Did you go from WPI to UNH? Or was I that did. Okay. I so did. when you're an assistant at Medford, an assistant at WPI? Yeah, for one year. You, you must have been working a nine to five on top of that because you don't make enough as an assistant at, at, at those stop you know at those stops to, no, to you, and, you know and 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 you know I know that you're not inherently wealthy on your own so <laughs> you must have been doing so what what are you doing during during when during, I those, in addition to that those two years of method I was a permanent like substitute yep. teacher okay so I did that um, and then at WPI again I worked at a youth in a youth program mm-hmm. with kids that had all different type yeah. of issues from like eight in the morning to one in the afternoon. Then I went right to WPI and it just, it was, just, it was like clockwork, man. So um, I did those two things. I mean, they didn't pay a lot of money, right. <laughs> but they kept me afloat. It kept me afloat, try to figure things out. But I knew I wanted to, you know, coach at the division one level yeah. as well. So I just knew I had to put my time in here and grind it out and then figure the rest out. Was it, was it hard? So, cause I, when my career came to an end and I was still young, in my twenties, figuring it out, I went and was an assistant teacher at, a, at Arlington High School, mm-hmm. different high school than Cambridge, but right next door. And I'm not even going back to my old, my old high school, but I'm still feeling like at times, like, man, I haven't accomplished, you know, I'm back in high school. I thought I was going to be doing bigger yeah. things. Yep. Was it hard for you to go back to the town, the high school coach, as, you know, be in the school system yeah, yeah. right after college? Was that ever hard for That's you to That's a be great back question. There? Yeah, it was, it was at the beginning. I was like, man, I thought I did all those things to not come back here. Mm-hmm. Not in a bad way, but just to go pursue yeah. other things. And yeah, it was hard. It was hard, but I knew what the goal was. I always kept in mind the perspective of, I got to do this now to reach my goal, right? Right. So I think having that mindset helped me of just coming in every day, doing what I need to do, working with the kids, trying to get them better. Because I did, I, you know, the one thing we talk about at Medford is when we play was having pride. So mm-hmm. I had pride in the program because I had played there and my high school coach was still coaching. So right. I wanted to help them win, mm-hmm. but I wanted to help him, you know, right. as much as I can. So, you know, I think if it was another coach, another program might have been a little different, a little weirder, but having to go back there and, and, and being from there, I got a lot of love from there. So it made the transition a little easier for me. You know, so when I didn't make the NBA and I had to go overseas, it took me the longest period of time to actually be proud of playing right. in Spain. Yeah. I mean, because it wasn't, you know, you you always thinking to yourself, oh, it's not good enough. Right, you right. Know, Man, exactly. I should have. I thought I would be somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And then you turn around and you look at it and you're like, Man, all of that. Wow. I actually did that. Yeah, yeah. So I can actually claim and be proud of, okay, no, I didn't make the NBA, but I got the best out of it that I could. Absolutely. I worked my butt off. Absolutely. And what I'm hearing from you two is, is that, you know, we call it a grind, but there's a, I don't know if this is a word, Sam, you could look at it, a stick to I like right. it. It's not, <laughs> it is now. That you have I've, to keep fighting, yeah. right? Because anywhere you go, you're still going to take yourself with you. 
right? So if you can't work through that, you'll never be happy. That's what I'm hearing from you're you. Right. You're right. Awesome. You're 100 percent correct. And I think the mindset is different nowadays, right? Because mm-hmm. I feel like young people and even even adults, everybody wants everything now. There's no mm-hmm. process. There's no steps. And I see it in the coaching world with young coaches coming up. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to go right to the division one level. There's a, there's a process, a step to it. You know what I mean? That you have to make sure that one, you know what you're doing. It's not just about getting there. Right. It's about knowing what you're doing as well. Like working out, workouts, recruiting, uh, film, you know, all the things that go into coaching. It's not just, I'm gonna jump into it. You gotta learn the game, you gotta learn the process. Then when you get there, you can now help young people get better by the stuff that you learn. So um, I see it now. Everybody wants the the, the, the big job, and, and mm-hmm. you know, but they're not willing to put in the work and and, go, and, and work to get there. You know, I, I tell kids that all the time. You know, when they talk about wanting to be recruited, and I said, dude, you don't understand. The guys you want to be recruited by, they've. <laughs> right. Yeah. I remember Calipari telling me, yeah, you know, yeah. there's four coaches in a room, two, you know, two of them are sleeping on the floor. Yeah, 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 know? yeah. It's true. It's true, <laughs> though. It's true. Right? It's true. And yeah. you think you're going you to walk up in there and think yeah. they're going to recruit you and you have shown no ability to be coached? Yep. Right. It's, it's <laughs> so kidding? true, man. I hear that all the time from coaches, man. I was like, I remember one coach telling me their budget was so low that. You know, they would find a hotel that they knew a friend was staying at and they would sleep in a lobby, <laughs> yes. you know, just to just to go on the recruiting trip. You yes. know, those are the things that, you know, you have to go through to get the way you really want to end up. Uh, I'm sure Frank Martin could give us a couple exactly. of things. Oh, he could. <laughs> right. He could. He definitely could. So you went from WPI to UNH. Now you're at the Division One level and Bill, you had the Bill Harriet yeah. experience. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Bill Bill's wound up being there for a very long time. Yeah. Uh, you guys are there. UNH has never really accomplished anything before you you guys get up there, even mm-hmm. though they were they had talent. I mean, Austin Ganley is one of the best athletes I've ever seen yep. at that level. Yep. And they had him and Chris Brown as seniors at the same time, you yep. know, that but they never really did anything up there. Yeah. Um, you guys bring in a bunch of talent, uh, by UNH standards, certainly yeah. at that level. Yeah. Yeah. That that freshman class of Dane Delegro, Alvin Abreu, Tyrone Conley, oh, yeah. uh, you know, the the Eric Gilchrist was a JUCO transfer, but was in like a lot of talent. Yeah, you guys kind of changed the, the the trajectory. And what was that experience like there? And then you go to Dartmouth, and what kind of led you to Brandeis? What? Yeah, it was. I mean, working for Billy was great, man. And I, and I you know, I talked to him last week. Uh, again, you know, Billy had been in the league at Drexel. I think his yeah. winning percentage in the American East, take out East Carolina, I think yeah. it was like seventy nine percent. Yeah. So he, he they really lost, you know. Um, I think he knew what the league was all about. Um, and I thought he did a great job at UNH because there's so many different things that go with winning. It's not just the basketball piece. Right. Um, if you're not getting the support uh, from your administration and if their goal is not to be the best, it's going to always be hard to win, right? Um, and I thought Billy did a tremendous job at UNH. I thought we... We set the standards. I mean, Billy had, I think, back-to-back 21 season. That's never mm-hmm. been done at UNH. Um, so that was, for me, again, not the cream of the crop, right? Not the school most kids want to go to. Yeah, who doesn't want to go Right, right, right. It's cold. So, so again, I got to, you know, we, again, we're, we're you know, we're, we're facing a challenge. And yeah. I thought um, by UNH's standing, I think we, you know, we, we overachieved. And then 
Same thing at Dartmouth. I go to Dartmouth. Dartmouth's not the sexy girl in the Ivy League. Mm-hmm. You know, it's HYPP. Everybody knows that. And we get to Dartmouth, and we get to a postseason tournament. Uh, Paul Cormier is a great coach, coaching the NBA, coach at Fairfield. So, you know, I got a chance to learn from some great coaches. And that allowed me then to pursue what I wanted to pursue, which is being a head coach. Um, after Dartmouth, I went to Columbia for two. And I thought after that, I was ready to be a head coach. And, you know, being from this area and Brandeis being the, the, the university that it is academically mm-hmm. and being in the league that it's in, I thought it was the best combination of athletics and basketball. I mean, at this at this Division three level, our league's the best league. There's no... Yeah, I heard you guys travel well. Travel they well. Do. It's yeah, we do. It's crazy. Like, we if do. you look at where all the teams are, like, on, on a map of the country, and you're like, oh, these Division three schools, you think of... Mm-hmm. It's crazy the travel that's involved. Yeah, it's 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 you get to play major cities. You know, you catch right. a flight out of Logan, and um, you stay in nice hotels. But the quality of kids you're able to recruit mm-hmm. is really really good because you know we have some borderline kids that you know they thought like you said they thought they should have been a Division one player, mm-hmm. but just things didn't just work out. But now they want the best academic institution. Yeah. So then our league schools from our league are able to swoop in and take those kids. And there's some terrific coaches in the league as well. So for me, I thought that if I wanted to coach Division Three and get my start there, that it is a perfect situation for me because the combination of the academics and the athletics. I, when I went into, when I saw, because I, I, uh, Brandeis played a couple of years ago, was, you know, shots and practices, games, all that sort of stuff. Like I went in there and was like, this is a division, like the first practice I was at. You had some guys, six, eight, yeah. jumping, like, like this division, like there are definitely guys on your roster that have the 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 talent to have been a division one. Oh, no question about it. There's no doubt about it. And again, it comes back to mindset. So some of those guys that do fall through the crack just don't have that mindset. They do have the physical ability. Mm-hmm. They do have the other things. Um, so uh, we're lucky enough to have some terrific players, but terrific young men. Um, you know, this is year five for me, I believe, and. It's the first time I've had all my guys since I've been there. With COVID impacted a yeah. lot, mm-hmm. changed a lot. So I, I'm very fortunate to be the head coach there. I'm very fortunate to coach that I, the, the kids that I coach, but I'm very fortunate to be in the league and in the university that I'm in. So I don't take that for granted. And I tell that to my guys every single day. You know, you walk in here, you know how I many kids want to want to be in your position? Right. You know, forget basketball. You know how I many kids would love to go to a university like this and get the education you're getting? Mm-hmm. I try to tell them, don't ever lose perspective of that, even though you're here to play basketball. What's your relationship with the uh, women's coach? Um, you know, Kara and I are very cordial. You know, sure. she's, you know, never had an issue with her. Um, I know there's some things that came out. Um, some things I'm not alluded to comment on because I don't mm-hmm. know the entire story. But, um, yeah, she's, I mean, she was there for 30 years. And, and you know, it's kind of unfortunate what, what happened recently. So um, I'm going to wait to kind of get some more information like everybody else right. before I can kind of digest in, in, in the whole situation. The question I have for you, um, because I'm, I don't know the experiences. I don't know what it's like, but I'm at least aware enough. And, and my wife has really opened my eyes more so to, even though I was aware, I think growing up, but seeing day in day out, my wife's experiences as a, as an African-American in this country. But you hear about and you see statistically mm-hmm. how many black American or African Americans, people of African descent in general, are playing college hoops at the division one level versus 
what percentage of them, what percentage of coach, head coaches are black. And mm -hmm. it's very disproportionate. Yep. And it's, it's, there's no way to say race doesn't factor into this and racial bias doesn't factor into this when you go, it's a sport that's played so much by African Americans, but yet they're not getting hired to be the head guy mm -hmm. as the coach. Mm -hmm. that, that, like, there's no way around that's bias. If you have this many people that are involved as athletes at the top level of the sport, they would have the, the lived experience, the knowledge of the game, the passion for the game to be head coaches, yet they're not. Mm -hmm. And all the staffs are so many staffs you always hear about. They want to have the black assistant who is the recruiter, yeah, yeah. the player coach. Yep. Did you what were your experiences like as a black coach and and how how did that impact your ability? You have broken through and have your own program, mm -hmm. but so many talented black coaches do not get to that point. Yeah. They're always just stuck as the recruiter yeah. or yeah. the player coach on the team or the guy who can relate, yeah. you know, <laughs> yeah. and, and I should put quotes on all of these because it's it's such nonsense. But yep. it is unfortunately the society we live in just what what has the experience as a black like there are certain experiences that every coach no matter what will experience as far as struggles recruiting living on the road mm -hmm. when you start off not getting paid you're barely making a living wage but there's other stuff that is that white coaches don't experience yeah. so what has your experience been like um my experience so far has been it's it's it's, it's i would say it's it's been up and down like i think when you start early and you're young you don't really pay attention to that, right? When I started, I was, you know, because I'm hungry yeah. and I was a player and I figured, hey man, like, you know, these guys know I played at this level. They know who I am. They know what kind of person I am, how hard I work. Sometimes you figure you work hard, you know the game, you gonna get an opportunity. Mm -hmm. But for most of us, we just don't get those same opportunities. And I think where it starts, it starts at the top, even in some of these administrations, man. Like a lot of these, people with administrations, there's a connection between who they hire. And I would say, I don't know the percentage, I would say eight out of 10 times, it's, it's you know, it's a person of, you know, it's a white person that's in yep. charge. And, mm -hmm. you know, then the, the, the African-Americans don't get the opportunity because of that. So, you know, I think a lot of it starts at the top at some of these universities. And there's so many really good coaches out there, uh, African-American coaches mm -hmm. that I've gotten a chance to know for my as 15 years as being an assistant, there's so many guys I met that we talk basketball, we talk recruiting, you know, we just talk coaching, leadership, just different. Everybody yes. has a different way of doing things. So you're yes. trying to learn. There's so many great guys out there that, you know, a lot of times, man, when I see certain guys get jobs and those guys get up, don't get those opportunities, it, it, it makes me shake my head and say, wow, this, this yeah. is this is this is real. Man. This is real. It, you know, I, I'm, I'm still as old as I am now, I'm still struggling to answer that question, Sam, because, you know, I had a chance to a chance to play for Team USA. Mm -hmm. And when I stepped out on that floor, you know, we're playing against Ginobili and all the other guys, right, for Tournament of America. So we won a gold medal, but when when I went out there, we were all Americans. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And now all of a sudden, you know, you come back and you see the hypocrisy. You know, now all of a sudden I'm an African American. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dude, how the hell did it change that quickly? Yeah. What what are you saying now? I've got to, you know, I've got to say I'm this, but meanwhile, if I'm defending the country, now I'm just American. Right? Yeah, I mean, I, it's, I don't get it. it's our country's history is we're going to say, hey, do it for your country as long as you're out there sacrificing. Yeah, yeah. But when you come back home, yeah. you're a black or brown. It's like, 
Yeah. No, you're not. Exactly. You're not. I'm an other. Yeah. Right. Something else. Yeah. Right. Yeah, That's yeah. Uh, there's a hyphen on this. Yeah. Yeah. Right. No, it, it's you're 100 percent correct. It's it's but it's not just college, man. It's like it's not just college basketball. You mm-hmm. see it in other places as well. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it just baffles me a lot. You know, my, my, my coaching friends and I talk about it all the time and just, you know, just not getting those opportunities because, you know, as an African-American coach, I don't want you to hire me just because I'm African-American, right? right? right. I want you to hire me because I'm good at what I'm at. And like I said, there's a lot of really good African-American coaches out there. They just don't have anybody opening up that door for them right. to get the opportunity to show that they can coach and lead, right? They just don't have it. And I think that has to change. You know, that's why I love uh, Tubby and Samson and guys like that. Yep. You know, especially Tubby. I watched him not take any shit. Yeah. Yep. You know yep. What I'm yep. I watched John Thompson not yeah. take exactly, anything. exactly. And the people were so angry with him, but I, I understood what he was doing. You know, for us, he was our hero. Yep. You know, he yep. was the first one that told us. He said, "Look, gentlemen, this is a business. Yep. That Nike you're wearing right now, that is a business. Yep. Right. Yep. So govern yourselves accordingly. Yep. Get what you can get. Handle yourselves the right way." And keep fighting. I love that he fought for AI. Yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah. it was it yeah. was so good to watch a black man who was the hero of many, you know, stand up to you know what they used to call the man. Yeah, you know, yeah, it no, was, it, it's it funny amazing. you bring that up. I feel like right now in the stage of you know, because I think there's so much money involved in the game now. That, mm-hmm. But I think Coach Thompson stood for something more than that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I remember when I was young, man, like I wanted to go to Georgetown. <laughs> yeah. Like I watch out yeah. and I was like, I want to go play for that guy, right? Because yeah. he just has has certain passion and awe about him that his players, no matter what, they all they all love them. Mm-hmm. So I think we're missing a little bit of that in our game today. Like who's that one person that has the influence? You have to make sure you you're able to have that influence as mm-hmm. well. Who's that one person that's gonna stand out and and, and, and try to move this thing forward and help these coaches out. Well, it's tough because you're in you're in a position where you have to represent the university. Yeah. Yep. You know, and you you want to you've worked so hard to get to that. Position exactly. Exactly. That you can't say what you want to say because you'll be fired in a heartbeat yeah. because the university doesn't agree with your, you know, beliefs. One hundred percent correct. So you know, maybe it's someone who's not in that position. Yeah. You know, to yeah. to basically be the mouthpiece for coaches that are, yeah, you know. You you, sp- you mentioned uh, the university and, and being for you. And one thing about Brandeis, I mean, they play in a tremendous Division Three conference and they also have the distinction of being a historically Jewish university. Mm-hmm. They're not, it's not exclusive to the Jewish right. I'd assume most of your roster is not Jewish right. based on the demographics <laughs> of basketball and based on the demographics in, in this country. You know, <laughs> I, I myself and mom's Jewish, we make up like, Two percent of the U.S. So is, but is there anything unique or 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 different about it? Be working at a Jewish university or a historically Jewish university. That's a good question, honestly. Uh, and and my players, we talk about this too, because you know, no, I'm gonna say we. They're just like they're just. That's never been brought. Coach, you know, I mean, it's just like coach. I'm at a great university. Um, you know, there's definitely some. Some things that in terms of the holidays yeah. and, uh, you know, that we recognize that you become a little bit aware of where you're at. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to just everyday life on the court, off the court, it's just like a normal 
it's just like a normal day for us uh, it's, it's, as far as that goes. Well, so I'm thinking as a player, what I would probably be saying to myself is, yo, I'm at a Jewish university. I'm going to be all right. I'm going to be all, all right. I got, all I got to do is apply myself. Exactly. Because this, exactly. this place is, you know, this place is pretty good. It's pretty good. Right? It's pretty good, man. <laughs> it's pretty good. And then, uh, you know, and our guys, to their credit, man, they do a great job. They're very involved in the community. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a young man, uh, an Orthodox Jewish young man on our team last year uh, who was terrific in terms of teaching us you know about the culture and the religion a little bit deeper than what we've known so my guys were going to temple right my guys were they were going as a team yeah and then they would talk about how much they enjoy it so i think that taught having that young man on our team last year taught us a lot you know can't travel on fridays you know can't play on set like all those sacrifices right. open up our guys eyes in terms of you know that part of it Last year was the first time that we had that. And I thought it was a great experience. Uh, young man, name is Jesse Spear. He's actually doing, uh, he's in Israel right now on an internship. Um, he's actually going to go to NYU next year in a, in a business program that he got into. Um, but he did so much for our program in terms of just teaching us mm -hmm. a little bit more about everything that we, you know, that we assume, but we don't know. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, I thought that was great for us. So, I mean, this has been a phenomenal conversation. I know we could go all day, but I know everybody has their things they need to get off to. But Gene, one thing that I do want to ask you is, so you've been five years. You mm -hmm. guys have had success. You've yep. nationally ranked. You, now you've got your own players yep. in. Do you know what your, what your longer term goal is in hoops or what your goal five more years yeah, from now yeah, might yeah, be? Yeah. That's, a, that's a great question. I think at this stage of my life, you know, um, now that I'm married, it becomes more than just about me. So when I start thinking about the process of my long-term goals, I have to think about my wife. Um, so now, you know, it's a little bit more difficult for me to say, you know, I want to go here. I want to be, I just kind of take it day by day because I love what I do and mm -hmm. I really enjoy it. Um, going in the office every day for me is not work. Going on the court every day is like, they're like, how is work? I was like, work. I said, I'm coaching basketball, right? Um, I'm trying to help these young men grow as leaders. So for, to answer your question, I love where I'm at. I really do. Um, my wife works in Boston. Her family's from up here. My family's from up here. So, you know, trying to think that far ahead is, is a little bit harder. When I was single, I'd be like, oh, man, if I get this job, I want to, you know what I mean? I want to work. I want to get the next job because I was the only one impacted. But now you have to start thinking about the people that really matter and the people that help you get to where you want to get to. Wisdom. Yeah, I, I, I think that's a really great mindset. And one of the things that I think a lot of people don't realize, and I, I now that I'm older, I don't know what it's like to be a coach at the college level, but I have some perspective. I've seen, I've talked. I think a lot of people are constantly chasing like the D1 dream, the mm -hmm, D1 dream. Mm -hmm. I remember talking to Will Brown, yeah. uh, who was Albany's coach when his stuff came to an end. And, you know, uh, and Will just took the job, job at St. Rose as the head yeah, women's coach there, which that. is Division Two. But I was really talking, like, have you thought about D3, you know, because it's, you maybe you don't have the prestige of D1. You don't have the the top-end salary yep. of, you know, I'm not going to compare D3 to Kentucky, but you compare D3 to, like, low D1, yep. American yep. East level. So the head coach top salary isn't quite the same. But, like, there's a quality of life to being able to coach at a Division Three. Like, it's... It's really 
you know, it isn't quite the same grind of being on. You have to go on the road and recruit, but it's not. And I think there's it's not like there's no pressure with your job, but it's a little different. Yeah. It's about it's not it's not necessarily about like how many NCAAs are you getting to or we're going to get you out of there. It's right. like, are you running a good program? Do you have good players coming in? Are yep. they graduating? Are they doing good things for for the school while they're here, the community while they're here? You know, like I just to me, it seems like. I feel like if I say, oh, it's a great gig that it seems like no, I'm downplaying no, no, how no, hard it is, no. but because it's very hard, but like the pros, it seems like there's a lot of pros that I think a lot of young coaches that are getting into this that just have like D1 or bus mm -hmm. mindset mm -hmm. don't really realize that how great things can be at yeah. a good Division three program. Right. Well, well you guys are cream of the crop. No, we The other seven teams in our league, we're trying to get there. We're trying to get there. But you hit the nail in the head. Quality of life. Mm -hmm. um, because the last five years since I got into coaching is the first time that I've been able to be home for Christmas, Thanksgiving, right, with my family. Because you know, at the Division One level, you're probably you're playing you're playing a a, 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 a tournament in Thanksgiving, right? I haven't started or, or Christmas, Christmas at home, right? Yes. So yes. when you talk about that quality of life of being able to, especially at this stage of your life, is being enjoyed to be with your family. You get that peace of mind, mm -hmm. right? You get yeah. that. Where, man, I was at airports Christmas Eve to go to LA, recruit, land the next yeah. day. So I was running around and like it, it's hard. It's and I think a lot of people see the lights and the glory and the salary of being a division one assistant coach or, or whatever, head coach, but it's hard. It, it listen, man, it's it's hard. It, it's not for everybody. It, 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 you know, I remember reading from afar in the peripheries that as you know. Billy's time when H just came to an end and they were making their hire. And before they made their hire, people were bouncing. Some people were bouncing your name around in. And then after the, that, they were hired. Well, to me, I was really just rolling my eyes. They were like, well, maybe Gene Bain will come back and assist it. And I'm like, like, guys, wh who says he'd even want to take the head coaching right. job at you? And like with what goes with that and living up and, you yeah. know, no disrespect to Durham, no, but no, like it's no. different than the boss. And I, it's like to me, it was just I'm not asking you to comment on that process at all. But more like people don't realize the pros of the Division One setup, like that they're thinking that a low D one assistant job might be in the more attractive yeah. or lucrative than than being running the show at a great D three school. Absolutely, absolutely. That's because people don't know. A lot of people that not involved in the game or been around the game, they don't mm -hmm. understand. They just see the lights, right. the glitz. They don't understand yeah. the behind the scenes work that goes into it, like. There's so many different things. It's not just, we talked about it earlier, it's not just getting the best players. And there's so many different things that go into winning at that level that if you don't have all those, you can't win, no matter how good your players are. You need that support, facilities. Now you talk about NIL. I mean, it's, it's hard where at my level, I'm having a chance to impact those kids' lives, you know, more than I could at Division One level. Because now kids, man, they go to school A, they average 17. Hey, school B is gonna give them more yeah. money to come. So you don't get to build that close-knit relationship with the kids. I feel like, you know, that's changed at the division one level. Uh, it's still a great game, but I have more of an impact at the guys in my level. It's more enjoyable. I get to teach them, I get to be around them. Um, so I really enjoy that part of it. Cause it's like we talked about earlier, it's not just about coaching basketball. You, you gotta be a leader. Uh, on the court, off the court, in the community. And I think that's 
to me, that's more impactful than, you know, playing in front of 15,000 people in, in, in Rupp Arena. So that's just me. Mm -hmm. Well, guys, both Bobby, Gene, thank you guys for an awesome conversation. I think it was it was really, really fantastic. One of the, one of the, the best ones we've had in here, I think. This yeah, was man. awesome, man. This thank great, you for man. coming man. in. I appreciate talking to you guys. This was terrific, man. This is a great way to start my day. Thank you guys. <laughs> well, thank you guys. My man.